Friends, welcome to Word on Fire Catholic Ministries. Word on Fire is an apostolate dedicated to the mission of evangelization, using media both old and new to share the faith on every continent and to facilitate an encounter with Christ and His Church. The efforts of Word on Fire engage the culture and bring the transformative power of God's Word where it is most needed. Today, we invite you to join Bishop Robert Barron as he preaches the gospel and shares the warmth and light of Christ with each one of us. Peace be with you. Now is the winter of our discontent made glorious summer by the son of York. The famous opening line of Richard III, the Duke of Gloucester, expressing his disappointment over his situation. That line in some ways sums up the whole of the play. The line gives, sets the tone for the whole play. Or think of this one. Midway on the journey of our life, I woke to find myself alone and lost in a dark wood. The famous uh, opening line of Dante's Divine Comedy. In many ways, the whole epic poem summed up in those words. How about this one from Aristotle? All men by nature desire to know. The opening line of his metaphysics. In a way, the book is just an unfolding of the implications of that line. Or how about Call Me Ishmael, you know, the great American novel, Moby Dick. In a way, unpacking that line will be the work of the entire book. Great writers, here's my point, put a lot into the opening line of their work. It often sets the tone for the whole thing. The privilege we have this week, everybody, in the gospel is we have the very opening of the Gospel of Mark. And there's a scholarly consensus that Mark is the first of the Gospels written. Somewhere probably around the year 70, Mark is a kind of literary and spiritual and theological genius, setting the tone for the other Gospels that would follow his. Listen to his opening line. The beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, can I suggest to you, Mark, and again, the scholars aren't entirely clear who he was, but the ancient tradition is that Mark was a companion of St. Peter, accompanying Peter uh, in Rome, with him as Peter would preach the gospel. And, and one clue there is that, is that Peter's uh, life features very prominently in the gospel of Mark. Likely he was not someone who uh, spoke and wrote Greek as his first language because his Greek is kind of rough and ready. It's not the polished Greek of, let's say, Luke's gospel. So was Mark a, a, a Jew who came from Palestine following Peter, ending up in Rome? Yeah, likely. If he writes the gospel sometime before the year uh, 70, he's writing it precisely in the wake of the crucifixion of Peter and the beheading of Paul. Think about that. These two great patriarchs of the Christian church. Peter brutally put to death. Paul brutally put to death. Imagine what it was like for the first Christians, those early Christians, living in that place and at that time. At that moment, Mark again writes, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Can I suggest now, in the manner of Shakespeare and Aristotle and Herman Melville, this line matters a lot. 
In fact, every bit of it matters. The opening word, the beginning, the beginning, RK in the Greek there, but if you're in a Jewish framework, you hear beginning, you're thinking Bereshith. Bereshith is the opening word of the scriptures, in the beginning, in the beginning. The beginning of Genesis, yeah, but it's the beginning of all things. If a Jew hears Bereshith, Arche, the beginning, what's he thinking of? He's thinking of the great creative act by which God brought order out of chaos. Because Bereshith, in the beginning, when there was just watery chaos, God spoke his word, and from the chaos came order. What's the story Mark is going to tell? It's the story, everybody, of a new creation of chaos, and, and read the Gospel of Mark with that in mind. Remember that old Hebrew term, tohu vabohu, that means the, the watery chaos. It means disorder, what's opposed to God's purpose. There's plenty of tohu vabohu in the Gospel of Mark, culminating in that awful Roman cross on which Jesus is put to death. There's plenty of tohu vabohu, but the opening line of the Gospel, arche, beginning, bear a sheath, that means God by his word, is going to bring order out of chaos. That's the story that Mark is going to tell. Then he says, the beginning of the gospel. Now, we hear the word gospel, and right away we think of, you know, sacred texts, and we think maybe of gospel music or proclaiming the gospel, and we see in very kind of spiritualized, even religiously institutional terms. But go back to the first century. The Greek, euangelion, E-U, epsilon, upsilon in Greek means good. Angelion, message. That's why an angelos is just a messenger. A good message, good news, a good announcement. Well, at that time and in that place, that was a term used either of a general of the Roman Empire or of the emperor himself. When they'd accomplished some great victory, we have euangelion for you. We've got the glad tidings of this great military conquest, this great imperial accomplishment. Imagine the, the irony here the edginess of this. Here's this figure writing, perhaps, in Rome itself, in the belly of the beast. Right after his friend, Peter, had been put to death brutally, the church under, under siege, probably, from the environing society. And yet he says, I'm going to tell you, it's from the beginning, so the story of new creation, but now I'm going to tell you a story about a military and imperial victory. Not on the part of Caesar or any of his generals, but in fact, on the part of someone who was put to death by Caesar and at the hands of, of Roman soldiers. I'm going to tell you the real story of victory. It has nothing to do with the clash of arms. What it has to do with is the resurrection of this Jesus from the dead. Yes, 
done to death by the powers of the world, but now raised to life through the ever greater power of God the Father. And this means that Roman power, indeed all worldly power, is eclipsed. There's a greater authority. There's a greater army, if you will. It's a nonviolent army. Led by this crucified and risen Lord. Again, how, how edgy it was. It's always struck me when you read the beginning of Mark. At a time when Christians had no institutional support, there, there were no dioceses and, and uh, you know, hospitals and schools, and they didn't have great cultural influence. On the contrary. But yet, yet Mark can say, I'm going to tell you a story about the true good news, the true imperial victory. So the beginning of the gospel, now listen, of Jesus Christ, now, in his Greek, he says, Jesus Christos. But that's just a rendering in Greek. We presume Mark was, was a Jew. Yeshua Mashiach is what he was probably thinking. Yeshua Mashiach. Jesus Christ, we say. Yeshua, what's that sound like? To our ears, it sounds like Joshua. And that's right, same name. Who was Joshua? Someone who won a great victory, a conqueror, if you will. This Jesus that Mark announces is also a conqueror, though not using the weapons of the world. But his, his purpose is indeed to conquer, to become the Lord of the whole world. Yeshua Mashiach. Mashiach means the anointed one. Hence, Christos in Greek and Christ for us. Who was the Mashiach? David. David. Remember the prophet Samuel anoints David and then says the Spirit of God rushed upon David. And David becomes the greatest king of Israel, indeed a conqueror. So again, Mark is saying, I'm going to tell you a story about a conqueror. He, he's won an imperial victory. It, it amounts to the recreation of the world. But it's nothing to do with Caesar or any worldly power. It has to do with this crucified and risen Lord, Yeshua Mashiach. That's the story that unfolds. And then just the last one, which I find fascinating. He calls him the Son of God then. So the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And again, we say, all right, that's a nice religious term. And if we're theologically uh, plugged in, we might say, oh, that's a Trinitarian reference. There's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all that's true, obviously. But go back to Mark's time, first century. If you said in his Greek, weos tuteu, the Son of the God, and that's the, the exact phraseology he uses, the weos tuteu, the Son of the God, that meant the emperor. Because remember when Julius Caesar was put to death in, in 44 BC, well, he was then raised to a divine status. He was divus Caesar. He was, he was divine Caesar. And then Caesar had adopted his, his relative, Octavian, who becomes Augustus Caesar, right, the emperor. And he assumed the title 
because he was Caesar's adopted son of weos tutheu. He was son of the god. And that becomes an imperial title. The emperor of Rome is the son of the god. <laughs> this fascinating, edgy figure, St. Mark. I got good news about, about an imperial victory. It's about a new David, and he's meant to be conqueror. And he's the real emperor. <laughs> it's not Tiberius. or it's not, not the, That's not the real emperor. This is the real emperor. And again, he had no institutional support at all. There, there was no political support for him at that point. But yet he had the, the panache and the strange confidence to say, I'm going to tell you the story about the true emperor. Now, can you see, by the way, everybody, why they put almost all these first Christian evangelists to death? Because we will spiritualize this language in a kind of harmless way, but they didn't. When they heard people like this speaking, they knew what they were saying, which is why the, the powers that be rose up against them. Okay, may we recover. Here's my my. Advent prayer for you. May we recover some of this wonderful edginess that we find in the opening line of Mark's gospel and move into the power of this proclamation. And God bless you. Thank you for listening to this week's homily from Bishop Robert Barron. For more resources from Bishop Barron, please visit wordonfire.org.